sermon podcast of Paley Presbyterian Church. The following sermon is by the Reverend Douglas Cornelius. series called Get to Know the New Guy. That's me. Still the new guy, though week by week becoming less so. This morning's text is from the book of Acts, chapter 4, beginning with verse 5. Hear the word of the Lord. The next day, the rulers, elders, and scribes assembled in Jerusalem with Annas the high priest, Caiaphas, John, and Alexander, and all who were of the high priestly family. When they had made the prisoners stand in their midst, they inquired, by what power or by what name did you do this? Then Peter, filled with the Holy Spirit, said to them, rulers of the people and elders, if we are questioned today because of a good deed done to someone who was sick, and are asked how this man has been healed, let it be known to all of you and to all the people of Israel that this man is standing before you in good health by the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, whom you crucified, whom God raised from the dead. This Jesus is the stone that was rejected by you, the builders, but it has become the cornerstone. There is salvation in no one else, for there is no other name under heaven given among mortals by which we must be saved. Now when they saw the boldness of Peter and John and realized that they were uneducated and ordinary men, they were amazed and recognized them as companions of Jesus. When they saw the man who had been cured standing beside them, They had nothing to say in opposition. So they ordered them to leave the council while they discussed the matter with one another. They said, what will we do with them? For it is obvious to all who live in Jerusalem that a notable sign has been done through them. We cannot deny it. But to keep it from spreading further among the people, let us warn them to speak no more to anyone in this name. So they called them and ordered them not to speak or teach at all in the name of Jesus. But Peter and John answered them, whether it is right in God's sight to listen to you rather than to God, you must judge. For we cannot keep from speaking about what we have seen and heard. After threatening them again, the leaders let them go, finding no way to punish them because of the people, for all of them praised God for what had happened. For the man on whom this sign of healing had been performed was more than 40 years old. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Please pray with me. Gracious God, may the words of my mouth and the meditations of our hearts be acceptable in thy sight, O Lord, our strength and our Redeemer. Amen. Well, one of the most difficult 
hearts about parenting a very young child is that when they say something that they probably shouldn't, and you want to discourage that behavior, you have to not laugh. You know what I'm talking about? The child says something, a word or a phrase that they probably shouldn't be saying, and you need to try so hard not to laugh. This happens several times a week, it seems, at our house. Annie says something, and we don't want to laugh. We don't want to encourage the behavior, but we can't help it. I can't help it. It's too funny. She gets me every time. Uh, a while back, I remember coming in from walking the dogs, and Annabelle was potty training at the time. This is probably about a year ago. And uh, she said, Daddy, where did you go outside with the dogs? I said, I just took them out so they could do their pee-pee and poopy on the grass. That's where dogs go. Big girls go on the potty. Dogs go in the grass. She said, oh, well, did they go pee-pee? I said, yes, they did. Well, did they go poopy? I said, yes, they did. And then she turned to my one dog named Toby. She looked him dead in the face and with real seriousness said, Toby, you need to wipe your booty. <laughs> mm -hmm. Now see, this is a crucial parenting moment, okay? Because if I do what you just did and I laugh, then we're going to be hearing, Toby, you need to wipe your booty for weeks, weeks and weeks, most likely in the most inappropriate situations possible, in public, with family. But if I hold it together and I just ignore it in that moment, if I can just ignore it, we may not hear it again, maybe never again. So there's a lot of people in my neighborhood and surrounding area that know that my dog Toby needs to wipe his booty because I couldn't help it. I couldn't keep it in. I laugh. It's too funny. I can't help it. Listen, I have parenting strengths in other areas, okay? When we know it's something is in our best interest or the best interest of others or etiquette or social grace or decency, if we know something is in that line, but we can't help but do otherwise, we say, I can't help it. It's a funny phrase, we can't help it. I mean, we're not aiding something. It's an idiomatic phrase that the Dictionary of Idioms defines this way, unable to act differently when a thought, action, or response is involuntary or unavoidable. We are unable to act differently. It's unavoidable. The first time I ever read this passage from Acts 4, I was in high school. I was using the old RSV transla translation, and after describing Peter and John's courageous stand to continue to witness about Jesus, Acts 4 verse 20 gets translated this way, but as for us, we cannot help but speak of these things we have seen and heard. We cannot help it. 
That's what Peter and John say. The original Greek actually has a double negative in it. Translated literally, it's we are not able to not speak of what we have seen and heard. We are not able to not speak. And our translation this morning smoothed it all out with we cannot keep from speaking. No matter how you translate it, Peter's message is clear. This is unavoidable for us. We are unable to act differently. We can't help it. Peter and John can't help it. They have to witness to what they have seen and heard. When trying to get to know the new guy, the new pastor, one question you might have for me is, how did you get into this line of work? I mean, how'd you get this gig? It's a normal question because we pastors know that most normal folks are sitting there thinking, why would you want to do this? Like, did other things not work out? Is that what happened? Your first choices in career didn't quite pan out. You're like, oh, I guess I'll work for a church. I get it. If I wasn't a pastor, I might have those questions too. So why am I a pastor? Well, the short answer is, I can't help it. I can't help it. See, for me, the answer is I felt called. I felt called by God to do this work, not, as, not just as something that I carried into another vocation or, or, or something else, but, but as my vocation. With my every waking and working hour, I felt that I was called to do this. And then the denominational and the local churches weighed in and they all affirmed that call and said, yes, this guy has real gifts for this sort of thing. And then I had to pass those intense exams and I had to work my tail off to get through seminary. But it all started with what I can only describe as a call. I mentioned before that the first time I heard this text was when I was 17 years old. I was on a youth retreat with my youth group at the time, going into my senior year of high school. And the speaker on the retreat, he was okay. He wasn't really my style. I wasn't really tracking with most of the talks that he had been giving that weekend. And then in his final talk, he spoke on this text that we read this morning from Acts chapter four. And he went through the story, Peter and John preaching, the religious leaders lining up those prisoners in front of Peter and John to threaten them, to intimidate them, lining up people in prison and saying, are you sure you want to keep preaching about this Jesus guy? And then the speaker told us how Peter and John responded. They said, we cannot help but speak of these things we have seen and heard. We cannot help it. The line echoed around my head for the remainder of the talk. I, I didn't even hear anything that the speaker said. 
I mean, he really, he really hadn't even started giving his message yet. He was just reading the scripture at the beginning of the message, but I never made it past that verse. All I could hear over and over in my head was, I cannot help but speak of these things I've seen and heard. I cannot help but speak of these things I've seen and heard. I cannot help. And it just went on and on, repeating, bouncing, echoing, sinking down into the deepest parts of me, bending the innermost parts of my will towards something. I felt it. I felt deep down within me that I needed to speak about this Jesus guy, not just at lunch tables or over coffee or with family members or subtly with my actions, but that in some way for me, this meant that my life needed to be dedicated to speaking about this, that, that maybe I was supposed to teach it or, God forbid, even preach it. I don't know. I just knew that right there in that moment, the Spirit was doing work on me and in me. And I knew I couldn't help it. Couldn't help but do this thing. I had to do it now. I knew that I probably could do 10 other things with my life and be happy, but none of them would move me or connect with me or matter to me like these things that I've seen and heard. These things I've witnessed, this truth I know, this God I love, I knew in that moment that if I did anything else with my life, I'd always wonder, why didn't I do that? I felt like I couldn't help it. Now, as was typical for my Southern Baptist youth group, the end of the talk involved an altar call where any kid who wanted to give their life to Christ, is the phrase they use, or rededicate themselves to their faith, they could come forward. And I remember standing up and walking over to my youth pastor and with tears welling up in my eyes, I said, hey, he said, hey man, are you okay? I said, I don't, I don't know if I'm supposed to go up there or not. He asked, well, you know, have you drifted away from God? Do you need to rededicate your life? I mean, he, he knew that I was already a Christian, already a churchgoer. I said, no, 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 that's not it. He said, what's going on? And I said, I think I was just called into ministry. And that's how and why the new guy is the new guy why I left other career options behind and pursued ministry, why I took the road that eventually led to this pulpit and to all of you because of this little passage tucked away in the book of Acts and this little verse, we cannot help but speak of these things we have seen and heard. We can't help it. Now, John and Peter have prisoners lined up in front of them. And the religious leaders say, are you sure about this? And they say, oh, we can't help it. Now, I would never compare my story to theirs. I wasn't facing any consequences or repercussions like that. It's really just that their witness 
led to my witness. But where I can relate to their story is that this story of Jesus has actually changed my life, changed who I was and changed who I am. This is what an authentic, radically transforming encounter with the gospel of Jesus Christ does. It makes it unavoidable that you would say or do something else, that you would follow someone else. You can't help it. And if you've been going through the motions of church, just observing the faith that your parents handed down to you or struggling to shake a sin that's present in your life or feeling like you're wandering aimlessly, desperate for some direction, or even if you've just forgotten, Say, I used to feel that, but I forget. Well, the good news about the good news is that it's still true and still ready and still waiting for you to dive in. It's still ready to change your heart. But you have to surrender to it, to welcome it, to be open to it, to realize that no matter how long you've been doing this church thing, you still may not have it all figured out. That God can still do something new with you. That you can still be transformed. I mean, did you expect that when you came here this morning? When you come to church on a Sunday morning, do you expect the Holy Spirit to transform you? To change you? to be made new by what God wants to do in your life. Can you imagine what our worship would look like, what our church would look like, if every one of us who came here on a Sunday morning expected the Holy Spirit to work something inside of us, to make of us someone new? What kind of church would we be? might be the kind of church that is so moved, so claimed by this man Jesus, by this God who came down, by this story of our rescue that we would look at the world and we would say, we're sorry, we just can't help it. That story, the one that Peter tells yet again to the Sadducees even after they've threatened him, in verses 10 through 12. That story, it's not just our story, it's the story that belongs to the world. The story of what God has done for the world through Jesus Christ. And that story, these things that we have seen and heard, these things that we believe, it doesn't just define us, it transforms us. It transforms us into ones who are sent into the world with a mission to tell that story, to show that story in all that we do. And we'll talk more about that next week. But will we be a people ready to be transformed? Will we be the kind of church that is known less for who they are than what they have seen and heard, than what they witness to with their lives, than who he is.
Will we be the kind of church that when someone asks us, why do you go to church? Why do you do this Jesus thing? How did you get into this church thing? I mean, did other things just not kind of work out with your Sunday morning? Other plans fell through? What's, what's going on with that church thing? We'll simply respond. We can't help it. We cannot help but speak of these things we've seen and heard. May it be so. Amen. Let's pray. Lord God, it is with grateful hearts that we recognize your hand at work in our hearts and in our lives. It's with grateful hearts that we recognize that transforming work that only you can do. Lord God, we pray this day that as we recognize the good news that you share with us, that we would reflect that in our world, that we couldn't help but share it in our jobs and in our neighborhoods and all those places where we go, that we would be able to give a reason for the hope that is within us in Jesus Christ. Lord, we're grateful for this reminder today, for this reminder of your love, your care, and your work in our lives. We are again reminded this day as well of the ways in which you work in our world and the hope that is ours as we look around us, as we look at the circumstances in our families, the circumstances with our friends and neighbors. Lord, the circumstances around the world, we know that you are a God who transforms and a God who does amazing and miraculous and mighty things. And so again, this day, we lift up those needs that are in front of us, those needs that we are experiencing in our lives, knowing that you are a God who hears our prayers and a God who answers those prayers and a God who is at work in amazing and mighty ways. We do look around our world and see the unrest and warring and challenge and difficulty in many different places. And we do again this day, especially pray for the circumstances in Israel. Pray, Lord God, for your wisdom, for your guidance, for those in leadership positions and making decisions even as we speak. May your peace, your comfort, your wisdom for those leaders surround them. And may in the midst of this, may glory come to you as what seems impossible becomes possible, not through the works of our human hands, but through the mighty power of a living Savior. Lord God, we are grateful today that we can turn to you, that we can trust in you, that we can depend on you. We're grateful that we can together pray as Jesus taught us to say, our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen.